Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. The churches, Revelation, the messages to these churches are rather remarkable. And I went through the first four, and because of time, I'm not going to take time to review that, but these messages are essential for us to hear because they were not only to the specific church that it was written, they were also to all believers at all time, no matter what uh, historical moment that we're in. But I also believe that they were, in effect, prophetic concerning the church ages. And when we talk about Sardis and Philadelphia, we've got quite a comparison here between two churches. Sardis had a dead faith a dead faith. It doesn't mean they weren't saved. It means they weren't walking as believers should. They weren't walking trusting the Lord. They weren't walking resting in him. They weren't walking in the midst of what they had been called into. And on the absolute opposite end of the spectrum, you have Philadelphia that the Lord says they have a little power and he's opened up a door for them indicating that there is ministry that he has for them because they're willing to follow him. In other words, they have a living faith, a living faith. Now, we have a lot to learn, all believers, all churches, no matter what age and stage we may be in, we have a lot to learn from both Sardis and Philadelphia. Sardis from a perspective of warning, and Philadelphia from a perspective of a challenge to trust the Lord, to walk with him, to walk in the midst of what he has for us. Let's look at Sardis. The, the history of this uh, city, not just the church, but the city is an interesting one because it really does dovetail closely with the Lord's message to the church itself. In other words, the church, the spiritual health of the church reflected very much the historical uh, detail of what they had been through as a city. Historically, uh, it's interesting, they had almost been completely destroyed by a sudden earthquake. They were up on a hill, they had cliffs alongside of them, and these earthquakes had hit and had hit suddenly and had almost utterly destroyed the city. In fact, when this was written to them, their city was in a state of uh, diminished capacity because of not only the earthquakes they had gone through, but also the second issue, which is that twice they had been conquered due to their unwatchfulness. They thought they were safe. They thought they were secure. They were on this pinnacle. They were on these areas where cliffs surrounded them. And as a result, they weren't carefully watching for enemies. And twice they had been conquered due to their lack of watchfulness. So because of that, the city, though once great, was in decline. They had been diminished. And in so many ways, this reflects the message of the Lord to the church itself. In Revelation 3.1, it says the Lord is saying this. John's recording this. He begins his message to this particular church by saying to the angel of the church in Sardis, right, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this. 
So the, the announcement of who he is, the Lord introduces himself to these believers as having the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And the seven spirits is a, is a symbol ultimately referring to the Holy Spirit. If you look back at Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, it's recorded, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Walvard, in his book, his commentary on Revelation, says this. Here there's an apparent allusion to the sevenfold character of the Holy Spirit as resting upon Christ according to the prophecy of Isaiah Chapter 11, verses 2 and following. And Isaiah 11:2 says this, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. This is a messianic prophecy. This is a messianic chapter. He says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. There's a picture that is being given to this church of the Holy Spirit and the completeness of the Holy Spirit as before the throne of God. And the Lord is simply saying to them, he who has the seven spirits of God. In other words, he's God and he's in control and he's all powerful. He's omnipotent and the spirit of God is with him. In Revelation 4, 5, we find that the seven burning lamps, which are also a symbol of the Spirit of God, are before the throne. He says, out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. So we get this picture, this picture that the Lord is giving to them. But he also says that the seven stars, which... We would understand from Revelation 1.20 are the leaders of the churches. Revelation 1.20 says, As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars, the angels of the seven churches. That word angel means messenger. Now, there's debate about, well, is this an actual angel that is over this particular church or whether this is a leader? And I would... Uh, follow the idea that these are the leaders or the leader of the particular church. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So in this, we have the seven spirits of God in the sense of the Holy Spirit, the completeness of the Holy Spirit, and the seven angels or the seven leaders of the churches being in the right hand of the Lord. He is in charge. He's in control. He's all-seeing. He's all-knowing. He's omnipotent. And he's able to accomplish because he's in control. And this message to this church of Sardis, the idea of the Holy Spirit is life. And in the midst of it, we have a church that refuses to walk with the Lord by faith. And as a result, they are declared to be ineffective, dead, useless to the Lord. There's no condemnation, or excuse me, no commendation of this church. The, the Lord doesn't take time to say, look, you're doing some great stuff at all. Oh, that's devastating, isn't it? I mean, you would hope at least that one good thing would be said. Nothing. He says, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. 
You have a name, you have a reputation that you are doing well, but you're not. You have a name that you're accomplishing great things or doing great things, that you're a church that is, and you can fill in the blank in a positive sense, but the Lord who understands and recognizes and sees through all things knows that they are useless, that they are dead. They are ineffective. He says, wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed, meaning filled up, meaning fulfilled in the sight of my God. Years ago, I was uh, hearing a funny story about my brother, Dave, and he was on the varsity football team. They were uh, going into districts. They ended up going to state. They had a really good team that year. And my brother, before the game, some hours beforehand, liked to take walks in the woods. And it was one of those Pennsylvania afternoons that was really beautiful, and the, the leaves are falling, and they're all in beautiful color and array. And he climbed a tree as he was reflecting, and I don't know why he was climbing a tree before a football game, but he climbed a tree before a football game, and he fell asleep. And so he was late getting to the field house because they had to get dressed. They had to get on the bus to go to this game. And so the, the whole team was in a panic. Where's my brother? Where's Dave? He's the captain. He's the captain of the defense. Where is he? <laughs> Wake up. You're part of the team. Get into the game. That's in effect what the Lord's saying. You're believers, but you're not walking as such. You have a reputation that you're alive, but you're actually dead. I like how Joe Dillo puts it. He says, as we repeatedly choose the way of discipleship, we become converts, and now we're invited into discipleship. We will obtain not only a rich, meaningful life here, but a rich welcome when we enter his kingdom when he returns. Conversely, to shy away from this demand, as did the lukewarm believers at Laodicea, which we're going to look at next week, or the believers at Sardis who were dead and who had not completed their deeds, will result in spiritual ruin and the loss of reward at that future day. The Lord is not saying to these believers that they aren't believers, that they aren't eternal, eternally saved. What he's saying is you are eternally saved, but you're utterly ineffective in what you're doing. You're not walking by faith. You're not walking with me. You have a dead faith. You do not have a living faith. And immediately when I say that, those of you who study James ought to think about James. James 2.20 says, you are, are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Useless. The idea of a believer not walking with God in such a way that the life of God, the vibrant activity of God in and through an individual is being recognized. Again, quoting Dillow, and I love this, he says, when believers do not animate their faith with works, when we have faith but we don't follow God in walking with him in the midst of what he's called us to, the activity that he has for us, James does not say that their faith is non-existent. He says it's useless. That is, it is of no value to others or themselves. This helps define what he means by dead because he describes it as useless. In verse 20, dead faith, useless faith, ineffective faith, not working, not functional. 
The message to the church of Sardis is you have a reputation that you're alive, but you're actually useless, you're ineffective, you are dead. You're not doing the things that you ought to be doing. You haven't completed the works that I have for you. Verse 3, he gives them a warning. He tells them what he says, so remember what you've received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. Oh, they will be disciplined. Here's the warning, right? The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. He reproves those whom he loves. Hebrews tells us that if we're his children and we get off track, he'll even go so far as to beat the hide clean off of us. <laughs> we don't like hearing that, do we? we? We like our comfort zone. We like to have that reputation. But sometimes we get off track and sometimes we're not walking in the works that the Lord has for us. Sometimes we're not walking in the deeds that he has for us and we're not completing the deeds. We say we have faith and in, in effect we do have faith, but we're not active in it. We're not willing to trust the Lord in it. And so the Lord says, I'm going to discipline you, and I'm going to come like a thief. I'm going to come on you suddenly, even like the earthquake that came and almost destroyed your city. This is what I'll do if you do not wake up. He gives them basically three things. Remember what they had been taught. They had been taught. They had learned. They had understood the gospel. They had understood what it means to follow the Lord and to walk with him by faith. And they were walking away from that. Remember what they had been taught. Secondly, keep it. Be diligent. The idea is guard, watch over. Remember their unwatchfulness? What he's saying to them is make sure that you're not caught off guard. Stay attuned. Watch over the things that are taking place. And make sure that you continue to walk in what you've been taught. And thirdly, repent, change their minds about what they had been doing, which was wrong, so that they could begin doing what God had led them to, and they could begin to walk by faith in what it is that God has for them. The good note is there is an affirmation of some within this church, and, and the whole church, in effect, isn't given this affirmation, but there are some within the church that have walked faithfully with the Lord in purity. Verse 4 makes that clear. You have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Boy, that's quite a statement, isn't it? And in spite of the environment of this church, there are still some within this body who have made the decision to walk with the Lord, to walk with him faithfully. And he says specifically, they have not soiled their garments. They had not, in effect, walked in such a way as they had allowed the garment of flesh to be preeminent. They had said yes to the Lord. They were being cleansed. They were not perfect. Obviously, all believers still struggle with sin, but we need to learn to walk with him in such a way that we walk in maturity. We walk in his strength. We walk in his ability to overcome our sin, not us trying to overcome our sin for him. That's not biblical at all. 
The issue here is there were some who had walked faithfully. There were some who actually had an effective faith, and they were making sure that their garment of flesh was not the garment that was preeminent. But rather, they were walking with the Lord in purity. And he makes a promise to them. He says, they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. They are worthy. The idea of worthiness is that they are doing that which they're supposed to do. They are walking in such a way that they're yielding to me and they're experiencing me. And as a result, they are walking in a manner that is worthy of their calling, as Paul says it in his epistle. So what does he do? He, he promises for these believers several things. In verse 5, he says, he who overcomes, and there's a whole, uh, whole series of messages that could be done on the overcomers. And what are we talking about here? But he says, he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who is an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, that's quite a mouthful. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. He who is faithful, he who is a believer who is walking in such a way as to be honoring the Lord in all areas of life. He who is faithful, who is going to walk with Christ in his strength and in his power, will be thus clothed in white garments. And I will not erase his name from the book of life. Now, the question is, do we, do we believe that you can lose your salvation? What if you're not an overcomer? Huh. Well, this is an interesting conversation, and I, I hope that in your K groups you can get into this a little bit. Because the reality is we don't believe that you can lose your salvation. I think the Lord is very clear on this point. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the promise is unequivocal. It has no works attached to it, and it is that you will be what? Saved. So he's not saying, hey, believer, if you aren't faithful, you'll lose your salvation. He's also not saying, well, you weren't a believer in the first place, and therefore you never had your salvation. That's not at all what he's saying. What he's saying is your salvation is secure. Of course you're not going to have your name erased from the book of life. But the potential for the believer is a potential loss of reward. If you don't walk faithfully, then you may lose not eternal life, but you may lose reward, or you may gain reward. That's the clear point of Scripture. I like how the Grace New Testament commentary puts this, and again, this is part of a massive discussion, which I am very fully aware of. He says, rather, he's using a figure of speech. He's, he's making a point. He's emphasizing something the Lord is to this church, and, and he's, he's in effect saying this, if you're faithful to me to the end, I will honor you by magnifying your name. You won't lose your salvation, but the focus is on the positive aspect of this statement, which is that you will be magnified not only before me, not only before the Father, but also before the angels because you've been faithful to walk with me. What a beautiful, beautiful truth. Folks, are we walking faithfully in such a way that one day the Lord will actually honor that? And of course, of course, 
we then at that moment have the privilege of saying, it wasn't me, it was Christ in me. It wasn't because of me, it was because of the Lord. But what an amazing truth that God seeks to reward us by ultimately not because of the work itself, but because of the heart attitude in the midst of our lives as we seek to walk with him faithfully by saying yes to him, by learning to die to self, by making sure that our garment is kept clean, by not getting polluted and stained in the things of this world, by not getting caught up in the mundane and the material, but rather being caught up in the glory of Christ. And what a beautiful truth that the Lord wants to reward us for that. And he's made a promise here that is unequivocal. You're not going to have your name taken out, blotted out of the book of life. Your name is there. That's secure. But you will be rewarded if you're faithful. Are we walking faithfully with the Lord? Are we walking by his grace, by his strength? Are we walking in the works that he has for us? Are we walking in such a way that the deeds that he has for us, we are actually experiencing them and we are fulfilling them as we yield to the Lord Jesus Christ because it's by his grace alone that we're able to accomplish that. Well, we don't have time for Philadelphia this morning. I'm not even going to try. I could talk fast, but not that fast. <laughs> I've kept you late so many times, so I'm going to let you out early today. Okay, group leaders, you've got plenty of time to just work through this. <laughs> but in all seriousness, do we have a faith that is vibrant? Are we walking with the Lord effectively? Not uselessly. Not ineffective. But effective. That's the point. And folks, I want to challenge you because in our day and age, I believe we're in the Laodicean era. I don't think there's any question about that. We're in a time where people love to gather to themselves teachers who will tickle their ears, tell them how good they are. Folks, there's nothing good in our flesh. It's all about the Lord, it's all about him. Are we making sure that our garment, our life, is unstained, is unpolluted? How do you do that? You say yes to the Lord. Because when you say yes to the Lord, there's no way at the same time you can be saying yes to the flesh. Catch that? What we tend to do is focus on saying no to the flesh. And then all we do is think about the flesh. And oh, how miserable that really is. Anybody say amen to that? The point of the matter is keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes focused on Christ. Walk with him, trust him, be persuaded by him, and be willing to follow him in whatever it is that he has, not only individually, not only as a family, but also as a church family, are we willing to say, Lord, we don't want to get caught up in the things of this world. We want to make sure that we're walking with you day by day, moment by moment, so that we're experiencing your transformational power in and through our lives, and that we are doing the things that you've called us to by your strength, by your grace. Are we willing to say that this morning? Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. 